This episode of the Outside Podcast is brought to you by the all-new 2021 Ford Bronco Sport. A smart and rugged 4x4 SUV engineered for your outdoor lifestyle. Inside the Bronco Sport are purpose-built features from an especially committed team. I would probably say I was four or something when I designed my first car officially. (laughs) Officially, I like that. That's interior design manager Scott Anderson, who was born and raised in Dearborn, Michigan, home of the Ford Motor Company. As a kid from Dearborn, right, like one of your biggest dreams would be to work on something like a Bronco. Scott's team was on a mission to craft an SUV that made it easier for people to enjoy their time outside. This had them developing features like two adjustable floodlights in the liftgate. So let's say you're pulling into a campsite, sun's going down, you want to set up camp. The lamps will shine 30 feet behind the vehicle and a few feet into the cargo area. So you can sort of lay out your tent, your cooking surfaces, get your fire started in a space where you can see what you're doing. Then there's the available five-way configurable rear cargo management system. You heard from a lot of people, geez, I got like all these wet snowboard boots and I got my sleeping bag, my backpacks, the dirty and wet stuff, need to stay separated from the dry stuff. The Clever system lets you create dividers and shelves for your gear. And when you get to base camp, it becomes a fold-out table. We thought it would be nice to be able to give people a place to have a clean, dry spot to fix something like their lantern or cooking stove. All these things are about promising people the ability to to be adventure ready at the drop of a hat. Learn more about the all new Bronco Sport at ford.com/bronco. From Outside Magazine, this is the Outside Podcast. I find that when I am in front of a tornado, I almost don't hear it because I have a buzz in my head. It's either just a buzz in my head or it sounds like a really loud waterfall. Sometimes the strongest tornadoes even sound like a massive hive of bees or something. It's like a buzzing, whirring, gnawing, chewing sound. When Jennifer Brinley-Ubel started chasing severe weather, it was because she wanted to be made to feel small by nature, but in a good way. For most of the year, Jennifer is a portrait photographer. She owns a studio in Milwaukee, where she takes glamorous photos of beautiful people and happy couples and cute dogs. But every spring, she closes up shop and heads off to take photos of something that most of us hope never to see. We want the beautiful storms. We like storm structure. We like lightning. But we're really hunting for the tornadoes. That's the ultimate prize. You know, everything else is the cherry on top. But we were looking for that tornado. On May 31st, 2013, Jennifer found the tornado to top all other tornadoes. Or really, the tornado found her. She was in El Reno, Oklahoma, when the largest tornado on record touched down. And pretty quickly, she was fleeing for her life. For the latest episode in our Wildfile series, outside contributor Stephanie Joyce has the story of how the El Reno tornado changed Jennifer's relationship to storms and herself. A lot of storm chasers get interested in chasing because of some personal experience with tornadoes. But that's not how Jennifer got interested. She grew up in Colorado, where there are plenty of tornadoes, but she never saw any. 
The closest she ever got to one was watching the movie Twister, which she thought was pure fiction. At least until she met a real-life storm chaser when she was in her early 20s. I I thought, okay, if this is real, I need to figure out how to go along. I, I need to... I got to see a tornado. How do I do this? Can I come with you? And um, we we ended up with a really strong friendship and he invited me to go storm chasing, you know, pay your half and that's fine. That's how it kind of it goes. And so that was that. And I ended up chasing storms with him for a handful of years. And he was the person that uh, I was in the vehicle with when I saw my first tornado. But seeing that first tornado took a while. Jennifer tagged along on chases across the West for months without seeing anything. Still, she loved the experience. Getting to be out in the fields in the middle of nowhere, you know, the only the only other being around might be a cow. And you just get to look up at this vast skyscape and drink it in. And there's just no experience like that. It takes you away from your regular life. It takes you away from the city, from the people, from the traffic, from all of your regular responsibilities. And you just get to be in nature. And and so even without the tornado, it was so, it was just I don't know. I felt like I could recharge myself. I could recharge my soul. And the weather part of that just adds a little bit of excitement. It's it's a little bit of a dance you do with it as you saunter across across the landscape. Jennifer finally saw her first tornado on April 13th, 2007. She was in Seymour, Texas, just over the border from Oklahoma. Um, we were driving in tandem with another vehicle with two other storm chasers, and they were actually in front of us on the road. We were just kissing the outside edge of the updraft base. So that's kind of where you want to be when you're chasing a tornado. You don't want to be too far back, otherwise you might lose it. And so they actually noticed really strong rotation in in the storm directly in front of us and they started to notice there was ground contact. So they stopped immediately in the road and we stopped right behind them. And uh, gratefully, their their knowledge and response was quick and we stopped before driving into the developing tornado. And then the tornado uh, fully condensed and we got to watch that move off the road into the field to our right, and it was just completely awe-inspiring, and I was overcome with emotion and excitement because I had been chasing for almost a year at this point without seeing a single tornado. Uh, so there was a whole lot of feelings of joy and excitement at the payoff of this tornado finally materializing in front of my eyes. Okay, that is not the reaction that most people would have to a tornado <laughs> forming on the road in front of them. Uh, <laughs> That's absolutely true. Now, here's the difference. The reason I had excitement is because we've been hunting for these things. We've been searching for them. We've been looking intentionally to try to witness these things. A tornado is one of the rarest things a human being can witness in their lifetime. So, you know, when you put a lot of time and miles on the road and money into trying to witness this amazing, rare spectacle of Mother Nature, and you finally achieve that, there's no better feeling. Still, you know, even if you're chasing a tornado, I imagine that actually seeing one is a very different experience and that it could be kind of scary, especially if it materializes in front of you like that. 
Did you feel scared or nervous at all? You know, it's interesting. Um, when I first started storm chasing, I had zero meteorological knowledge. I, I like to refer to those days I was being a tourist. Back then, I was sort of a tourist. I just jumped in the car, and it was sort of like, I want to go along, take me to the tornado. And I would look up at the just flat cloud deck. I would look at all parts of rainy skies and storms, and I just thought a tornado could come out of any part of the sky. I had no knowledge whatsoever about how to forecast a tornado, what storm structure was, or where it actually occurs in a storm. I just had 100% total trust in the person who was taking me storm chasing. So I had zero fear because I went into it with total blind trust, so to speak. Uh, I assumed that they wouldn't put themselves in danger. So by default, I wasn't in danger. <laughs> as crazy as that might sound, Jennifer actually had good reason to be confident. The people she was with were super experienced. And when she started storm chasing, no chaser had ever died in a tornado. That changed in 2013. By then, Jennifer had moved from Colorado to Wisconsin and was chasing with a new partner, Skip Talbot, who's a self-taught meteorologist. 2013 was their third season chasing together. And Jennifer had learned a ton from Skip about forecasting and storm structure. At the end of May, they headed out to the plains to chase a system that was expected to bring several days of severe weather to the region. You know, in the four days prior to El Reno, we were chasing supercells in Kansas. And when you're several days out from an event, the weather models are not as high resolution. So you have a vague understanding that, yes, there's going to be moisture, there's going to be instability, there's going to be wind shear. These are all ingredients we need for a tornado, or at very least for supercells. And then as you get closer and closer to the day, the weather models get higher and higher resolution. You have a better understanding of the finer details of the environment. So the day the day of El Reno, uh, there was a palpable buzz in the air <laughs> among the, the tornado chasers and the storm chasers because I remember before any storms had initiated, we were all sitting at Lake El Reno in Oklahoma and we were, you know, there are locals swimming in the lake. It just seemed like a nice, warm, kind of muggy day. And the average person might not have thought much of it, but we we're all poring over the weather models, looking at the, the current environment. And we were really remarking about how the parameters were off the charts and we couldn't expect that we would have anything less than an explosive tornado day. And so you were there for most of the day, just at the lake with all these other storm chasers? We sure were. And when we were at the lake, uh, we were sort of watching what we call turkey towers go up. And, and usually that precedes the actual bomb of, of supercell development. And so, um, you know, you just got to wait and you watch and you wait until one updraft becomes the dominant updraft and it explodes into a an actual thunderstorm. So we were sitting at the lake watching little bub bubbling cumulus clouds and a tornado watch went up at 3.30 p.m. And this 
This particular tornado watch was classified as a PDS, which stands for Particularly Dangerous Situation. Um, they outlined a 90% chance for tornadoes within the watch. And so that immediately, you know, it raises the stakes a little bit. Your, your heart gets beating a little bit more because it's, it's like, okay, this is official. The National Weather Service is seeing the potential just like we are, and, and they're seeing that this is imminent. So Jennifer and Skip waited in their chase van, watching for signs of the impending tornado. After an hour or so, they started seeing a major storm developing to the west and decided they should move locations to stay ahead of the system. We ended up stopping several miles north of town just to watch the line of storms approach from the southwest. And there wasn't really much in the way of storm structure visible at that point. We were just sort of watching these nondescript storm bases and rainy cores kind of moving to the northeast. But the thing we did notice that there were positive lightning bolts happening ahead of the storm. And so there are two different kinds of lightning, generally speaking. You have your traditional lightning bolt with branching lightning off to the sides. That's what we normally see. Uh, But then there's a different kind of lightning. It's called positive lightning. And that's a smooth bolt with no branches. And it sounds like a bang. It's just like a you know, um, and those are positively charged super bolts. They're more than 10 times stronger than a usual average negatively charged bolt. So that says something to us about the strength of the storm. And we also are coming to learn that positive lightning bolts can be a precursor to tornado genesis. So whenever we notice that positive lightning is occurring, we are keeping our heads on a swivel. Based on what they could see, they decided the storm was likely to produce a tornado on its southernmost end, which at that point was very far away from them. So they started driving south, but the visibility was terrible. The El Reno storm was a high precipitation storm, which means that it was very, very rainy. Uh, We generally do not like to chase high precipitation storms because they're more dangerous, because you can't see where the tornado is unless you punch through the rain and put yourself in an extremely dangerous situation inside what's known as the bear's cage. That's the most dangerous part of the supercell where tornadoes usually live. And if you can't see, there's no reason to go in there because (laughs) you're going to be in big trouble. So we decided to set up east of the supercell because we wanted to give it space. We wanted to watch it from afar. And we were sort of hoping that the rain would clear out and we would have a clear view of the wall cloud and the tornado itself. By 5.30 p.m., a tornado warning was issued on our storm. And by 6.03 p.m., the El Reno tornado had spun up its first sub-vortices. Now, at that point, we were six miles southeast of the tornado because we wanted to position ourselves safely. We were watching this giant, rainy supercell. It looked like a big blue and green mothership. 
and it was extremely grungy. It was very low contrast. All of these things are bad for trying to see a tornado. Now, generally speaking, we expect that supercells and tornadoes move from the southwest to the northeast. So we were sort of tunnel vision, watching the area of the storm that we expected the tornado would probably be. Um, but ultimately, the tornado actually was moving southeast toward our location. But we didn't realize that because of the high precipitation storm mode. So by 6.13 p.m., I mean, the storm had gotten so close to us, we were essentially looking up at the outer edge of it. And I looked directly to our west instead of to the northwest where we were sort of eyeballing where this tornado might be, right? I saw curtains of rain blasting from left to right at tornadic speeds. And that is a major wake-up call. That means it's a tornado. When you stop and think about what you really want in an SUV, it's a vehicle that lets you get the most out of your adventures. For Scott Anderson and the other designers of the all-new Ford Bronco Sport, that meant crafting the interior to be the ideal mobile base camp, no matter what you like to do outside. You know, we looked at surfers in California and watched them sitting by the side of the road in their vehicle, changing out of their wetsuits. Sort of like, geez, what can we do in the back of the vehicle to help these people enable that experience for them to be better? After a lot of experimenting, Scott's team came up with an answer. They'd create a pull bar for the rear lift gate that was engineered to fit hangers. Let's try and see if we can make this thing the right size to be able to hang a hanger, which allow people to put a wetsuit on it and dry it off. And it sounds really mundane, but most bars that close the gates in most vehicles right now are too small to put a hanger through. Step inside a Bronco Sport, and you'll find all kinds of smart and unexpected features, like available storage under the second row seats, and even a built-in bottle opener in the cargo area. This is what you get when you ask your customers what they really need, and then listen to them. Okay, I want a carabiner hook here, and I want to put some rubber mats here. All these little human-centered design exercises gave us all these really fruitful ideas for making little tiny features that amounted to big benefits for our particular customer. Learn more about the all-new Ford Bronco Sport at Ford.com slash Bronco. When Jennifer Brindley Eubel saw the curtains of rain blasting at tornadic speeds, she knew they needed to get out of there fast. We realized we had to enact our escape route immediately. Um, Your escape route is always the fastest way away from the tornado, and in our position, it was east. When we left our location, the tornado was just under one mile to our west. Now, we were blasting east to get away from this tornado, and it was gaining on us. When you're that close to a tornado that's that big and that fast, there's very little room for error. You know, if you're running from a tornado that's, you know, a typical tornado size, you could walk out of the path. But when you're talking about a tornado that's 2.6 miles wide, the vortices inside of that tornado are the size of regular tornadoes. There's no way to escape that. 
Did it feel different to you from previous times that you have been very close to a tornado? The the El Reno tornado was absolutely different than any tornado I've ever chased. And the feelings I had during the chase were very different. I had never actually felt afraid before. I had never felt those feelings of I don't want to say panic. Uh, I don't think I was quite panicked because we didn't quite know how close it was, but certainly that feeling of we need to go now, we need to run away, we need to run from this thing, I'd never experienced that in my life. I had never been chased by a tornado mm-hmm. before. Right, and that's what it felt like in the moment was oh, yeah. being chased. Oh, we were. We were being chased. That tornado was moving our direction quickly, and it would have caught us if we didn't get out of its way. It's hard to watch the storm behind you. All we're all we're trying to do is just get east. Uh, so we got ourselves about eight miles east, southeast of El Reno, Oklahoma. Holy cow, is it going to hit El Reno? Oh, God. That's a big tornado. And at that point, then, the storm was to our northwest and then to our north. And right about at that point, time was when uh, the Twistex crew was impacted by that tornado. And it's really eerie if you watch the video. Uh, you can hear me in this moment. It's about 6.23 p.m. and you can hear me on the video and I say out loud, I hope all the storm chasers are safe. Holy cow. Holy cow. I hope all the chasers are And it's really, really eerie looking back at that, knowing that right about when I said those words was when our friends were being hit by this tornado. When Jennifer and Skip decided to run, the tornado was moving due east. But a few minutes into their escape, it made an abrupt turn to the north. That put Jennifer and Skip out of harm's way, but sent the tornado careening towards another group of storm chasers. The Twistex team, headed up by researcher Tim Samaras. Samaras, his 24-year-old son Paul, and their chase partner, Carl Young, ended up directly in the tornado's path. But it was a day and a half before Jennifer would learn what happened to them. In the moment, she and Skip were focused on their own safety. As the tornado they fled dissipated, other tornado-warned storms started filling in behind it. And like the first tornado, they were rain-wrapped and super dangerous. It was clear that they needed to get out of the area entirely. Unfortunately, right about this time, it was like between 7 and 7.30 p.m., this was when... uh, a local TV meteorologist had warned residents in the path of these tornadoes to get in their car and go south. So we ended up being faced with massive traffic jams, trapping thousands of people in the paths of these tornado-warned supercells. They were, it was so bad that people were driving south in the northbound lanes of the freeways. 
And, and those lanes were also getting backed up with vehicles. So we, you know, we are trying to escape as well to pull the plug on the chase and get out of the way of these storms. And we are met with these big, huge traffic jams of people. So we ended up doing what we call stair-stepping on the grid, where we stay off of the main roads and we zigzag on side roads, which can be dirt roads or, you know, um, smaller paved county roads and things like that. So we didn't have any more. And luckily, luckily, those tornado-worn storms did not produce tornadoes. If they had, it could have been a literal mass casualty situation with all of those people in their vehicles. After hours of driving, Jennifer and Skip finally made it out of harm's way and found a motel in a tiny little town east of Oklahoma City. They'd already planned for that day to be their last day of chasing on that particular trip. So the next morning, they started the drive back to Springfield, Illinois, where Skip lives with his wife, Jenny. On the way, they heard a few reports of storm chasers who'd been impacted by the tornado and had their cars rolled and their windshields broken, but who were okay. We made it back to Springfield, and I stayed the night at his and Jenny's place. And... uh, it was it was a little after midnight, and um, I all of a sudden was getting phone calls from my first chase partner, Tony Lawback, and he doesn't call. You know, it's like you, you text message, but phone calls are weird. And it's really late at night, and I'm in someone's house. I'm sleeping on the couch, and so I just kind of, I'm tired, and I just kind of am pushing the button, and I'm like denying the call. And he calls again, and he calls again, and then he gives me a text message, and he says, "Call me." And so I'm like, "Okay." And Tony uh, was part of the Twistex crew. Um, he wasn't chasing with Twistex that day, but he was part of a larger part of their crew when they were on the Discovery Channel. And uh, that's when I found out that Tim, Paul, and Carl had been killed in the tornado. You know, and I asked him, are you sure? Who did you hear this from? Like, are we certain about this? And, you know, to hear that the best of us has been taken from us in this way, it was really, really hard to accept And uh, it's still hard to accept. Um, So uh, I went outside because I didn't want to disturb Skip and Jenny. And I was just balled up on the driveway crying. And uh, I realized I shouldn't be alone. And so I called Skip (laughs) on the phone from from outside. And... uh, so then poor Jenny and Skip come outside in their jammies and it's, you know, almost one in the morning and I'm balled up on the driveway and, and I told him what happened. And, and so then, you know, Jenny like nods and goes back to bed and Skip and I just stayed up talking all night and walking through the neighborhood and trying to process what was going on and what happened and our part in that and, and then we really started asking, why are we doing this? It was really a time of reflection and shock and and devastation and disbelief. And, you know, um, there was a lot of grief. It was really, really hard. These were the people we respected and admired the most. And, you know, they were gone. So... In the Storm Chaser community, Samaris was well-respected. 
He wasn't a cowboy. He wasn't cavalier about safety. All of a sudden, Jennifer understood their own escape in a new light. They'd gotten lucky. If the storm hadn't turned north, it could have been them. And that thought made Jennifer feel something that she hadn't felt before. Fear. In the years following, the immediate years following, like 2014, 2015, part of me would hope that we would bust. Like, I would want Mm -hmm. to be out and love seeing the skies and the storms, but I would hope that there would not be tornadoes because I was afraid. And at the same time, I wanted to see the tornado. Like, I wanted the nice, clean tornado that doesn't scare you, but I was really afraid that it would end up being the mean, scary, high precip, rain-wrapped tornado that can kill you. During those years, did you think about just not chasing anymore? Yeah, so 2014, the first, we had a couple of warm, what I call a warm-up chase, non-tornadic supercells and pretty skies. And then April 28th, we had a close encounter with an EF3 tornado in Tupelo, Mississippi. And that really sparked Uh, a fear in me. We ended up in the path of this tornado on the freeway and we drove out of the path and we drove away from the tornado and it crossed behind us and it was fine. Um, Being in the path of a tornado was not unusual, but it triggered the experience that we had in front of the El Reno tornado. And as we were driving away from it, we got caught in the RFD winds, which is the rear flanking downdraft. And there can be tornadic wind speeds low end in that rear flanking downdraft. You know, those winds can be upwards of 60, 70, 80 miles per hour. So as you're driving through them, the vehicle is bucking and rocking back and forth and you're not in a tornado, but it can feel very scary. I definitely was sort of rocking back and forth with my face in my hands thinking, oh God, oh God, oh God. And my chase partner is going, it's okay, we're in RFD, it's fine, we're fine. And and then, you know, I get calmed down and we are fine and, and then everything's fine, but the feelings in that moment are so intense that it makes me feel sick to my stomach. I always lose weight when I chase because I, I'm i eating saltines and Rolaids for a week at a time. Um, in those moments in the chase, I wasn't feeling the joy or the excitement that I was feeling before. I was feeling the fear. It put me back into the moment, into the feelings I had being in front of El Reno. And with the added knowledge of what El Reno was, you know what I mean? So it's an, it's a more intense fear than I felt in front of El Reno because I now know what, you know, the gravity of what that can be, what it could be. And so I could go through many, many chase days and tornado experiences where I had this fear. We would get back to Skip's home at the end of a chase and I would tell him, I don't know, I might be done. I don't know if I can keep this up. I was really, really struggling. I was struggling bad. It was, it was a really tough couple of years. And, but then sprinkled intermittently with like incredible experiences. You know, once the fear, past and and I knew we were safe, then I could have these close range experiences and feel 
the awe and inspiration that got me interested in the first place. So those were the experiences and the things that kept me going and kept me coming back to it. You know, okay, like most of the time I don't feel this way and maybe someday I'll grow out of this. Maybe someday I can get back to just the love only without the fear. And that was just what I hoped for. After a while, it did get better. The fear didn't go away, but Jennifer learned to acknowledge it without being consumed by it. There were a few times she did think of just giving up on storm chasing altogether. But in the end, the thought of what she would be missing always pulled her back. No matter how many tornadoes I've seen, no matter, you know, it doesn't matter that I've witnessed the whitest and the fastest tornadoes on Earth. That's just for now. There's always a storm or a tornado around the corner waiting for me that's beyond my wildest dreams and expectations. The not knowing is the literal magic of storm chasing because if you wake up in the morning and you're on the road, that day could be the greatest and most incredible chase day of your life. That could be the day. It could You could also get a sunburn and eat gas station food. And that's pro- more <laughs> likely what's going to happen. But the not knowing, the mystery of what's possible, those are the things that drive us to keep going out day after day. It, we're in search of our greatest life experiences. And uh, that's what keeps us going out there. That was Jennifer Brinley-Yubel speaking with outside contributor Stephanie Joyce. You can see Jennifer's photos of extreme weather at faceofastorm.com. Stephanie Joyce produced this episode, which was edited by me, Michael Roberts. Music and sound design by Louis Weeks. This episode was brought to you by the all-new 2021 Ford Bronco Sport, a smart and rugged 4x4 SUV engineered for adventure. Learn more at Ford.com slash Bronco.